0: Welcome to the Justin Peters program, where we're searching the scriptures to see if these things are so, studying to show ourselves approved, rightfully dividing the word of truth so that we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here's your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that you are doing well. It's a joy to be with you, and today is the first of what I will believe I believe to be eleven programs on the topic of spiritual warfare. Uh, this is something that I'm very, very much looking forward to. Spiritual warfare is a topic that uh, everybody seems to be interested in, but few people really seem to have. A right understanding of, and my guest for all eleven programs will be Jim Osman. Uh, many of you know that Kathy and I have recently relocated to Northern Idaho. We are in Sandpoint, Idaho, and Jim Osman is the pastor of the church that we attend, Kootenai Community Church here in Sandpoint. And so, Jim, welcome to the program. Thank you, Justin. Appreciate being here. Well, Jim, it's great to great to have you with us. And just as we begin, tell us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your testimony and and, um, what you're doing now.
1: Well, I I wouldn't have grown up in what you would consider to be a a devoutly Christian home. Um, I uh, moved to Sandpoint, Idaho when I was three years old, and uh, my family has been from this area for generations going back. And about the age of 13, 12, 13, 14, um, I got saved through a a neighbor who had a collection of Hardy Boy books. and, And. he uh, loved the Hardy Boys. He was several years older than me, and he had the whole collection, all volumes one through through fifty nine, and, uh, and then uh, those are the the paper, hardbacks, and then he had some paperbacks as well. And I was a big uh, Hardy Boy fan, so I went down to check out his collection. And and
0: uh, I've heard of the Hardy Boys, but who
1: the, the mystery series, Joe Hardy, Frank Hardy, okay. uh, you know, a mystery series written for boys between say 10 and 17 and uh so i i had those books and i was collecting them and i heard that a guy two doors down from me had the whole collection i had to go see it so i ended up becoming friends with him and he attended the church that i now pastor kootenai community church he and his family attended here and uh so i started coming to sunday school here and then eventually to youth group and and uh, through my connection here with the church of attending uh, somewhat regularly with my my sister was here uh, coming as well she's three years younger than me and um We, uh... We had a summer where we were doing vacation Bible school, and the church, we were too old to participate in vacation Bible school, but the church said, as as young teens, if we would help out for VBS, that they would send us to camp and pay for our way to go to camp. So I went out to uh, camp that summer with some friends of mine, and that's where I heard the gospel and got saved. I was 15 years old. That was 1987. The camp is Coquilaw Lake Bible Camp that is about 20 minutes south of here. And uh, after I got saved, I I came back and kind of struggled with my Christian life, tried to read the Bible a little bit, didn't really have a hand. Handle or our grip on spiritual things, kind of muddled my way through high school. When I got into my senior year of high school, I decided that I was going to attend a Bible college. And there was a Bible college in southern Saskatchewan that uh, our church knew, one of the instructors at that Bible college, and knew that it was doctrinally sound. And so when it came time for me to go to Bible college, they determined that it would uh, it would be best to send me there. So that's where I went to Miller College of the Bible. I met my wife there in my first year at Miller. And um, my wife attended first year. She didn't continue on for second or third year. But I did after my third year, I got a a bat, uh, no, a a three year certificate. And then after my third year, I took a year off. My wife and I got married, moved here to Sandpoint. And then after a year's break, I went back the following year for my fourth year, um, fourth year of Bible college and earned a bachelor of arts in strategic ministries from uh, Pambran, uh, from Miller College of the Bible in Pamboran, Saskatchewan. So now today I, I live with my wife and four children here in Kootenai. Uh, after I graduated from Bible College, my, the church uh, needed a pastor. They asked me if I would take over. I guess I was kind of the most logical uh, logical one to do it. So at the age of 24 years old, with uh, um, one my first child on the way, we started pastoring here in Kootenai Community Church, and that was in 1996. So it's been 18 years now that I've been doing that.
0: Well. Well, um, Jim, you, I've, you've heard me say this before, and, and those who are regular listeners to the program have, have heard me say this. One of the one of the great joys that has been mine and Kathy's as we travel throughout the United States, and, and uh, I go overseas quite a bit as well, is is um, most of the churches that, that have me come in are smaller churches because of the nature of what I do. And generally speaking, your big churches are going to compromise. Um, not always, but most of the time. So, You've got rare but, exceptions like John MacArthur. There are. There yeah. are rare exceptions, notable exceptions like John MacArthur's church. But um, but most of them do. And so the the churches that tend to have me in are, are smaller. And um, I go in and, and go to these little small churches and places that most people have never heard of but they, these churches are pastored by really good guys. They love the Lord. They love their flock. They study. They labor in the Word. They rightly divide God's Word of truth. Nobody's ever heard of them. These pastors are not invited to speak at major conferences. They're not being interviewed by Christianity today. Not that you would necessarily want to be interviewed <laughs> by Christianity today. But, um, uh, Jim, you would never say this about yourself, but... But I want our listeners to know that that Jim Osmond, my guest for this next series, is is one of these guys who is a, um, a very qualified pastor, uh, elder in the church, and uh, his preaching is second to none. I mean, I would put I would put his preaching up with the best of the best. Uh, it's the highlight of of our week every Sunday morning to come and, and hear you preach, and and I've I've heard that from so many people here in the church and um we really really appreciate you and appreciate what you do and i have a great deal of confidence in jim that's why i'm excited about this this topic that we're going to be um tackling here with spiritual warfare now a a couple of disclaimers before we get too deeply into it Um,
1: i am the pastor of the church you attend, so that's one disclaimer you and i know each other we're friends so friends and, uh, and then another one is that, that uh, we're going to be talking about a book that I'm writing. Um, is going to be available in January, Lord willing. And the, all the money from the sale of that book is going to go to the Kootenai Community Church Building Fund. So it's a, sort of a fundraiser, and we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit here, I, I imagine. But uh, they should know that uh, any money that's generated from the sale of this book, this Kindle book, is going to go to the church that you and your wife, Kathy, attend. So, right. And that was high praise, by the way. I appreciate that. Coming from the Doctor of Discernment, that is, that is high well,
0: praise. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah, but, uh, but it, it i mean it I, I i really mean it and it's 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 easy to get discouraged uh as you look at the broad swath of professing christianity because you see these high profile pastors so many of which compromise whether uh in their in their uh, morals and their integrity or compromise the truth but um but there are these faithful under shepherds if you will that are that are out there everywhere and they're they're doing it right and you're certainly one of them so Jim, back to the book. Uh, tell us, okay, what is, what is the title of the book, and, and what's the overall premise? The,
1: the title of the book is called Truth or Territory. Uh, the subtitle is a biblical, well, I should say the subtitle was going to be a biblical and sane approach to spiritual warfare, to distinguish it from what I consider to be sometimes goofy and insane approaches to spiritual warfare, which, uh, you know, the insane approach is being the, the notion that we're doing hand-to-hand combat with demons through mantras and prayers and binding Satan and hexes and removing curses and, and all of that. Um, that would be what I would call both unbiblical and an insane approach to spiritual warfare. So, I, But I think to, to keep from offending people, because I know we don't want to offend anybody on your program, we're just going to call <laughs> the truth or know. territory, a biblical approach to spiritual warfare. And the truth or territory really captures the, the two different ways of approaching uh, spiritual warfare. Is spiritual warfare a battle for the truth? Against error and satanic deception, or is it a battle for territory claiming people and nations and cities and territory uh, for God away from Satan, so truth or territory and uh, what we do in the book is what I do in the book is we have four sections in the first part we establish some biblical principles. We talk about the sufficiency of scripture and uh, some other issues. The, the fact that our, our, we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. A lot of people just focus on the devil and neglect the world and the flesh. And so they they're, the, they're might think that they're winning on one front against the devil, but they're losing on two other fronts against the world and the flesh. So we talk about that in part one. The second part, we expose unbiblical practices. So then we look at what I call carnal weapons of carnal warfare, binding Satan, praying hedges of thorns, uh, claiming spiritual territory through spiritual Spiritual mapping and exorcisms and all of that. In part three, we examine some biblical perspectives on sanctification and exorcisms and what is the what is the extent of our authority in Christ. And then in part four, we look at a biblical passage, which is Ephesians chapter six. And you might think that we would begin with a study of Ephesians six, which is where you'd think most spiritual right. warfare uh, studies would begin. But we actually conclude with that because Ephesians six is the conclusion of a book, not the introduction to the book, not the central premise of the book, but the conclusion of a book. So Okay. i conclude with that and uh a biblical approach to spiritual warfare I, i'm a i'm a preacher so i like alliteration we recognize the bible as the sole authority we reject unbiblical and man-made methods and we rest in christ and his finished work so that's kind of what how i think we're going to unfold the series of interviews that we do is along those lines we recognize the bible as the sole authority we reject unbiblical and man-made methods and then we rest in christ and what he has done for us on the cross
0: Amen, amen. This topic is is huge out there. I, I can hardly turn on Christian television, TBN or Daystar, one of these. And of course, you see your your steady diet of the prosperity gospel, word of faith stuff. But but always mixed in with that is this spiritual warfare lingo. I mean, it just saturates. Claiming territory, claiming this, renouncing that. Yeah, it's yeah, all over the place. Absolutely. And and it used to be relegated to the charismatics, the word of faith those kinds but now it's it's not this this Mm. spiritual warfare lingo uh it's it's mainstream
1: yeah i I think it is mainstream it's all through evangelicalism and, and my own history bears that out I think that one of the things that happened is that you had sort of this new approach to spiritual warfare that came on the scenes about the time that charismatic theology started uh, really taking root um, in our own nation in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. You know, the, all these notions that we, that we associate with spiritual warfare today, unheard of before the middle of the 20th century. Right. Um, but now they're, now they're in the warp and woof of evangelicalism. And one of the things I think happened about the time of, of of this sort of new approach to spiritual warfare was also a a push toward ecumen, ecumenism where we were trying to break down the walls and so you had some of this charismatic theology bleeding into evangelicalism and what would be more conservative Christianity or non-charismatic Christianity and with that bleeding over of of things from sort of the charismatic emphasis into the non-charismatic emphasis I think we also saw an adopting of a lot of charismatic terminology I fell led I heard from the Lord the Lord spoke to my heart these things are things which are indicative of, of modern day further revelation outside of scripture but we also began to embrace things like binding Satan and praying a hedge of thorns and a hedge of protection and and these ideas of of exorcism and spiritual mapping and all the stuff that we critique in the book. Um, Those things bled their way into what really is more conservative mainstream evangelicalism Right. And it's not, just, it's not just characteristic of the charismatic movement.
0: Right. That's exactly right. I, I, uh, everything you said is, is absolutely true. I, th- I think an, another thing that has introduced a lot of uh, the charismatic lingo and practices into more mainstream evangelicalism, uh, supposedly conservative evangelicalism, evangelicalism is um, uh, a book by Henry Blackaby, Experiencing God, yeah. who also talks about this... Um, not just feeling led by the Spirit, but claims to hear God speak to him yeah. directly in a direct quotable sense outside of Scripture. Yeah. And so that has really injected a, this, this charismatic uh, theology and thought right into non charismatic And most, I would say the vast majority of non charismatic theoretically speaking, non-charismatic churches today are in fact, in practice... Charismatic. Charismatic. Yeah. Yeah so yeah.
1: yeah and and a lot of the a lot of the practices of the modern spiritual warfare movement um, they rely upon a, a poor view of scripture for one which we 'll get into in the, in later on. But they also rely upon uh, extra-biblical revelation. The whole idea that we could be naming demons and, and mapping out territories and, and casting down this—all you know, that stuff—comes from a reliance upon what did we learn in an exorcism, or what did an ex- what can an ex-satanist like Mike Warnke tell us about exorcisms and, and dealing with the demonic? These are these are reliances upon things outside of Scripture, meaning that they are uh, extra-biblical revelations or pieces of information that people actually incorporate into what they think is a biblical theology of spiritual warfare
0: right absolutely and i was telling you as we were setting up for the program that just last night a lady called me from mississippi long story short i went to high school with her son and uh this dear lady has been sick for uh, most of her life has had chronic chronic health issues and she called me wanting another copy of my dvd clouds without water but just in listening to her talk i heard some of the typical Spiritual warfare lingo. She talked about Satan having a, a, a stronghold, and and I think she mentioned like uh, binding Satan and, and stuff like this. And I just I said um, I said you know I'll, I'll call her Sally. It's not a real name. Mm-hmm. I said you know Sally, uh, my pastor is writing a book on spiritual warfare, and he takes a lot of these commonly held myths like binding Satan and generational curses, and he dismantles them from. Scripture and shows these things to be um, uh, unbiblical and, and erroneous. And there was this long pause, and she said, you mean that's not real? <laughs> and uh, I said, no, no, it's, it's not. It's, it's one of these commonly held myths that everybody has come to believe to be true, but in fact is not it's not biblical so, mm-hmm. and this was just last night was so she frustrated with the results of her
1: her walk with the lord and what she's seeing happening yeah yeah because she's approaching the battle from an entirely different entirely wrong uh foundation right yeah right and she's had a lot of, I don't, there's, no, there's no doubt she's well-meaning, well-intentioned. That's sure. that's not the issue at all. We're not judging anybody's motives in this, but no. you know, sadly, uh, bought into, or, or at least heard uh, evangelicals that she trusted use this lingo, and, uh, and and present an approach to spiritual warfare that is not at all biblical, and therefore not at all effective. Yeah. And I have a similar, I have a similar background myself.
0: Well, you know, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, we know just a little bit about how you came to be a pastor, but why? why your interest in spiritual warfare
1: well and i don't know that i necessarily have an interest in spiritual warfare but i have a background of of reforming my understanding of what true spiritual warfare is and as you know nobody is saved with perfect theology right uh, everybody is saved in armenian and you know and then eventually they become more reformed or they start to understand that god is sovereign in these things uh, so it, I likewise was not saved with perfect theology. In fact, I had, uh, you know, not coming from a Christian background and not making Bible reading a part of my everyday life for 15 years until God saved me. And even shortly after that, when I arrived at Bible college, I was saved with very little knowledge of scripture. And I arrived at Bible college with very little knowledge of scripture. Um, in fact, I had only been exposed to a, a couple of Christian singers or tapes and never really saw any Christian books. And, and I tell this story uh, from time to time. I, when I arrived at Bible College we were in the administration 's office there, and I paid my tuition. They gave me a list and told me what room I was in in the dorm gave me a list of the books that I needed for school for that semester and They said, "Now, if you go across the parking lot to the bookstore downstairs underneath the dining hall there 's a bookstore there, uh, they will pull out all the books that you need for your first semester or first year and I thought to myself, books bookstore what, what type of a book do you need at bible college i had I had never read a Christian book I had never been exposed to a Christian book um, I had no knowledge of of, uh, of anything outside of just a bare rudimentary knowledge of of scripture. And I walked into the bookstore. I mean, I went to Bible Bible college, so I thought we were going to study the Bible. What do I need in the book? And I walked in. There's commentaries. Hey, do you know this? There are commentaries on Scripture. <laughs> there are books about commentaries on Scripture. There are books about theological issues. And man, I fell in love. And I, I swore when I left high school that I would never read another book as long as I lived. And uh, I walked into that bookstore, and I fell in love with books. And I've been a voracious uh, reader and book collector ever since, but Christian books. Right. And um, so that's how little knowledge I had of Scripture. Well, sometime during my first year of um, Bible college, I started to become exposed through other students there, um, first and second, third year students, to a lot of these different authors, like Mike Warnke, who supposedly came out of a Ex, He was an ex-Satanist, came out of this occultic background, supposedly. I think Jesus People USA later debunked it and refuted everything that he said was true. Right. Um, so Mike Warnke, uh, Rebecca Brown, who was an ex-Satanist who became a Christian, she wrote all of these books. And then at that, same, at that time that I went to Bible college in 1990, I was there in the fall of 1990, um, there was a set of books that was making the rounds that was really popular by frank peretti piercing the darkness and this present darkness this have,
0: you ever, read, have you ever read those yeah, i read i read this present darkness
1: yeah and then i read piercing the darkness or yeah piercing the darkness was the second one right so all of my buddies in the dorm they reading these books and, and guys were like you got to read these books you got to read these novels and so they were circulating them to everybody and and i didn't want to start into them because they said once you start to pick them up you won't be able to put them down well, I had a really good friend his name is Chris Lowen, and uh, we were in, in the first year together. And he told me, "He said these are really good," but he warned me before he gave them to me. He said, "Jim, you know you're not going to want to. When you read these, don't think that these are like a manual on spiritual warfare. They're not. This is, you know, this is not what it really looks like. But these are good novels." And so I read them. And, and you know, Chris is a solid guy. Um, so I read the books. But once you get Frank Peretti's view of spiritual warfare of what goes on in the heavenlies into your mind, it's hard to get that out of it. Anytime you pray, you you start to envision that these things are going on around you because you just read a novel about it. So I kind of began to adopt a little bit of that thinking. And um, then somebody handed me a tape by a guy who claimed to have the formula for leading unsaved people to Christ. And the first tape, uh, the tape in the series, I don't even know who the guy who taught on it was. I don't remember his name, but it was a cassette tape that I listened to about 10 different times. I took notes, and I wore that tape out taking notes. But the formula was, first you have to uh, bind the devil then you have to figure out what the sins of that person are, and you need to renounce them. And through the pleading the blood of Christ and praying a hedge of thorns and, and uh, pleading the cross of Jesus over this person, you need to shower them with the blood and soak them and saturate them in the blood of Christ. And all of this is intended to, and you know, cast out demons if you can from afar, uh, have power encounters with the demonic in order to loose the strongholds that are keeping this person in darkness. And through all of these all of these ways of, att- of attacking the devil and his deception, you can break down the deception around these people so that they would see the truth and then hear the gospel and then understand the gospel, and then they would be freed up because Satan would no longer have them in bondage and strongholds. They'd be freed up to get saved. Well, of course, your whole approach to salvation, that i mean that's just goofy on the on the face of it but this was what was on the tape and i gobbled that up hook line and sinker and uh, so for a couple of years of bible college until i was in about the middle of my third year um this was my approach uh, binding satan this is what i thought was all i thought all this stuff was biblical um because I had been exposed to it through other students who came. And we had students coming from all kinds of different backgrounds, Baptist backgrounds, some Charismatics, you know, Evangelicals, Evangelical Mennonites, Mennonite backgrounds, liberal backgrounds, all of this. So you get, at Bible college, you have a pooling of all of these backgrounds and approaches to everything. And so you just pick the stuff up in the dorm as you're having conversations, you're having prayer meetings with people, you're talking about what you're studying in class. And so I was exposed to a lot of bad stuff, and I didn't have any discernment to say what was right and what was wrong. Right, Or to know what was right and what was wrong. Um, so then I had a student who was a good friend of mine. He was a year ahead of me in school. He was in fourth year. And the fourth year professor was a man named Phil Powers. And Phil uh, today pastors a church in in Washington, D.C., uh, 4C Memorial Church. And Phil was a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. And Phil was teaching the fourth year students of a biblical approach to spiritual warfare. They had a whole week on just that subject in um, in fourth year. And so one of the guys came into my room and he said, I started talking about what he was learning and um, that binding Satan was unbiblical. Praying a hedge of thorns was unbiblical. Exorcisms were unbiblical. I thought, where's he getting this stuff? So uh, I said, where are you learning this? This was fourth year, Phil Powers. And all the fourth year students were marveling at their new liberty in Christ and understanding these things. And it was a complete reformation amongst this whole group of students that I had gone to school with all the way up and through into fourth year. So we uh he, they said you got to get this book um, th- this book called A Holy Rebellion by Thomas Ice and Robert Dean Jr. And today it's no longer called a Holy Rebellion. It's called uh, Spiritual Warfare, and I forget what the subtitle is, but it's been published under at least two different names. And I got that book, even though I wasn't required to read it, I started reading that in third year. And I must have read that book three or four or five times in one year, and I devoured it every chapter. I checked up every every cross-reference. I analyzed the argumentation. I went through that, and that was a complete reformation in my understanding of spiritual warfare. So when I got out of that, when I got out of, third year i had already been grounded now in abandoning all of that nonsense that i had been exposed to and that had picked up and so by the time i got into fourth year i took the class on spiritual warfare and i was already raring to go and we had to write an, an article or sorry, an article um an essay an essay on the subject of spiritual warfare for that week of class and i wrote an essay that was had to have been 40 pages thick I mean it was He asked for 5,000 words I gave him like 15,000 It was It was enormous wow. Way over Because I, I just had to vent On all of these Unbiblical practices Which I did And uh, I got a, a good grade on that When I got out of Bible college Started uh, pastoring I started getting questions from people asking questions about spiritual warfare. You know, what do you think about binding Satan? Is this biblical? What about praying hedge of thorns? What about exorcisms? People started asking questions. People are exposed to stuff in the broader oh, yeah. uh, pool of evangelicalism. So... I think it was second or third year of pastoring something like that our ladies in the church were going through a community bible study it was a k arthur series in the book of ephesians and k arthur adopts some of that spiritual warfare language of the modern spiritual warfare movement and the ladies came to me and said we you know we got into Ephesians chapter 6, and we don't know how to handle what K. Arthur is saying. So they pooled together all the ladies, and we had ladies there from different churches and different church backgrounds that were attending our Bible study. And we did a Q&A, and I taught through a biblical presentation on spiritual warfare. And I thought to myself, I need to, when I need to put this into writing and write this down in a series of articles or, or, or uh, sermons or something that people have access to this. So after a few years, I wrote a series of articles, 16 articles for our church newsletter, on the subject of spiritual warfare, where I took the essay that I wrote and expanded it and blew it up into 16 parts, you know, 4,000 words each, and um, put that out to our congregation. It was available online for free for a long time. And uh, then we got to the point of uh, of, uh, me thinking I should just write this book. So that's when uh, I took the articles... On spiritual warfare and expanded them into a book and put it into a book format and uh, i figured well let's uh i'll take this book and we'll sell it as an e-book and get the material out there and uh, make the material available to people and any of the proceeds for it go to our new building fund so that's that's what brought us here to, to today
0: well, I'm, uh, Jim, I'm really, really excited about this book. I, I just can't tell you. And, and uh, so you mentioned that the the proceeds to the to the book, which will be available on Kindle, yeah, the proceeds on Amazon, uh, they're going to the to the right now. Uh, Kootenai Community Church meets in a oh, a Kootenai, uh, an elementary school cafeteria.
1: Right. We have church in a box. We have uh, <laughs> we have a trailer that's we have a big storage. Um, building that sits up on the back of a, of a trailer that we've converted into a mobile church and um, that trailer puts we stack 200 chairs sound system stage speakers sunday school supplies tables all of that inside of that box every saturday we uh, back it up to the school we unload it we set up in their cafeteria for church um, and then every sunday after church we pack it all back up put it back in the box and drive it around the corner to a, a parking lot and we've been doing that since 2002 and uh, slowly been Working on building a new facility about a block and a half from where our old facility was, and about a block and a half from where we meet here at the Kootenai uh, elementary school the um, The old church building is right across the street from the school, so we just we just walked across the street for church and and um, we 're committed to doing this debt free and uh, ra- spending the money as we raise it and uh, we we're kind of we're at a point now where we're hoping to be able to occupy it really soon we just kind of needed a couple extra fundraisers to sort of push us over the top and get us occupancy we've got drywall up we've got paint on the walls and texture and uh we got carpet in some rooms and doors and and uh, a heated room there that we we use to keep stuff warm supplies warm so we, we're at a point now where we're kind of at the finishing stage we got to buy a bunch of tile and stuff like that and and uh you know if the lord blesses us with uh, an infusion of finances we'd be able to get out of the school after 12 years of building a building and and move in soon hopefully that's a long time 12 it, years it is a long time our church has been gracious through this whole process we you know we meet since we meet in somebody else's facility we are we are handicapped in many ways Doing things that we can't do, we we can't bring in speakers or do conferences and things like that because we we don't have a facility. Uh, this last year we sold our old church building, so this last year we haven't had an Awana ministry because which we had for twelve years prior uh, because we didn't we used to have it in the old church building which was big enough for our Awana ministry but not big enough for Sunday morning worship services. So we've been without an Awana ministry for a year, and uh, so we are we are handcuffed in many ways of a lot of the ministries that we would like to do simply because. Uh, we don 't have facility facility to do them in right, but our church has been very gracious that 's what I was saying just a moment ago um, you know we we 've done we 've been doing this every week for 12 years and we have faithful setup crews and faithful people who serve and they come here on saturday they set up they help clean up on sundays we have potlucks in here you know it means bringing over a ton of stuff and and it's a lot of extra work but our congregation has grown the lord has blessed us in spite of that and uh, people are gracious and they know that you know we're more committed to doing this in a way that honors the lord than just to rush out and borrow a bunch of money and and do it, and, right. and people appreciate that, and uh, and we just kind of know that it's just the season we're in, and hopefully the Lord will take us through it soon.
0: Yeah, Amen. Well, um, there's a there's a a few notable big name preachers out there who like to, in, in my estimation, I think they like to to brag and kind of pat themselves on the back a little bit by saying they they don't take a salary from their oh, church. Yeah. Uh, they just live on their Book sales, book royalties. Well, when your book sales, you know, number in the millions and millions of copies, well, you know, bless your heart. Yeah, you know, you're just living on your your poor little book sales. So I, I so I, I don't have a lot of uh, I don't have a lot of respect for pastors that, that go out and say things like that. But uh, but you this, the the sales, of however many books you sell on the the Kindle. Um, if if annoying.
1: everybody that listens to your radio program bought a book, we um. could buy.
0: Probably a couple doorknobs. At least. Yeah. <laughs> at least. Maybe even a light bulb. Yeah, that's you know, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the the proceeds from this, they're not going to, to fund your private jet no. or uh, <laughs> air-condition your dog house or anything no. like that. No, So uh, neither of which he has, by the way. <laughs> you don't even have a dog. I, no, I don't even have a dog. So No. My my, my lifestyle's too active for a dog. I love dogs. I'd love to have a
1: dog, but... Yeah. Uh, I got four kids. That's close. That's... <laughs> <laughs> they
0: make well, more mess than a dog does. Good deal. Good deal. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I, I can attest that uh, Jim is one of those guys who very much lives out what he preaches. He doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk. And I uh, just can't say enough good things about him, the ministry that God has entrusted him to up here in beautiful Sandpoint, Idaho. And so uh, this is this is a book that you can feel very good about, not only with the content, uh, content wise but you can also feel very good about uh, where the the proceeds will be going to to uh, complete the uh, new church that uh, they are trying to new church building anyway that they are trying to finish so jim as as we wrap up this program uh any any concluding thoughts maybe the um, uh, the overall uh, direction of of the book. Uh, tell us a little about a little bit about where we're headed from here.
1: Well, we're we're going to talk uh, next time we're together. We need to address the issue of the sufficiency of Scripture, so we're going to deal with that uh, uh, next time and and talk about the two different views of spiritual warfare. There there really is uh, two primary perspectives of viewing uh, Satan and the demonic and what our approach to uh, them is to be, and also what true biblical spiritual warfare is. Um, one of the reasons that I tackled this subject is because there, I think there's a need for great clarity on this subject, a great need for clarity on this subject, I should say. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of unbiblical ideas that circulate in the church, especially in the best and most conservative of evangelical churches. And I have experience having worked through this issue myself. A lot of this stuff is personal. Um, I know that when I first read that book and I first uh, talked with students at the school who were, who, had themselves kind of reformed their understanding of this and, and gone, come out of the, the modern-day approach to spiritual warfare. Um, I felt that in talking to them, if I give up binding Satan and praying a hedge of thorns, I mean, I, I felt like somebody was grinding up my sacred cows, like they were stripping away from me all these effective weapons for fighting, uh, fighting Satan. I mean, if I don't have exorcisms, what do I have? If I don't have binding Satan, what what's left of me? If I can't pray a hedge of thorns around somebody, how am I going to protect somebody? I felt like they were stripping me of all the weapons that I had come to learn and love. And so uh, I was, had been emotionally invested in these things by praying this way and thinking this way for a couple of years. And so I was emotionally invested in it. And to, to, to give that up, because Scripture didn't teach it, I felt like I was giving up something that I had invested myself in. And so it was difficult to make that transition. But ultimately, we always have to come back to, what does the Bible say? And we conform our thinking and our practice to Scripture and not our experience, and not anecdotes, and not traditions, and those things. So that's kind of where we're going to go next. We're going to talk about sufficiency of Scripture, how Scripture informs that, and then we will look forward to dealing with some of the, the, the these practices, and are they really biblical, and we'll look at the texts that modern-day spiritual warfare experts use to justify those practices. We'll look at those texts and see, are they really scriptural?
0: Good deal. Good deal. Well, Jim, I'm really looking forward to the next number of programs, probably 10 or so more to go. Um, I'm just really, really excited about this. I want to thank you for joining me and uh, all of you listening. I want to thank you as well. And until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to the Justin Peters Program. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or would like to invite him to come and speak at your church or conference, contact him through his website, justinpeters.org. That's justinpeters.org.